When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well... Unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums, and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. I don't think it's fair to have somebody here that doesn't want to be here when there's so many phenomenal women in this room. I have had such an awesome night so far and I am doing my best to get to talk to every last one of you, but I want everyone that wants to be here to, to be here. So if there's anybody that wants to step out and leave, Okay, so Cassidy is not entirely the person that you think she is. 
Um, and she has a friends with benefits that she's had for a long time. And she was FaceTiming him right before she met you. And she's letting him know, I'm going to be MIA for a little bit. And apparently he said back to her that he wanted to do nasty things with her when she got back. It would be cuddling season. And so obviously she's not here for you and to have love with you. Okay. I don't want the target at me. But I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Let someone win or have drama? I mean, we're in a competition. I'm here to win. We're not talking about relationships. We're not talking about growing together. We're talking about shrimp in the hot tub and whether or not Elizabeth is there. We're not resolving conflict. We're talking about shrimp. Bitches, I'm done. He's mine. I never thought I had to compete this much for one man. I'm this hot blonde bombshell. What else do I need to say? Give me the Oscar. Give me the Emmy. Give me the Golden Globe. And give me the rose. It's a bitch-ass move, but it was weak. Like, seriously, at least try harder. At least make it more specific so it sounds believable. What's the number one thing people get accused of? Well, she's not ready. Good one. I'm just so thankful that the truth prevailed and the liars will go home. We're gonna find a base for my rose and you can book your ticket home. Smells like something you won't be smelling tomorrow. Sayonara. Biatch. I realized that I've had these women really pour their hearts out to me and continue to be vulnerable, but I was in a place of protection. I was afraid to um, allow myself to open up because it wasn't making sense in my head how I was feeling about four women. Um, but what I know is that I have very strong feelings. I'm falling in love with all of the women in, in a different capacity. Wow. Was good. I wasn't gonna cut it off unless I was engaged, sorry. Hey Gabby, one more thing. I just want you to know that I am falling in love, and it feels so good. <laughs> I didn't want to go about it this way, but because it became a deal breaker, like I don't want that to be a deal breaker with us. This is the hard part to say, but like, I was in love with her. And I was in love with each of you two. I am in love with both of you. And I also was intimate with both of you. For the first time in history, our bachelor was rejected on the final day and he ends up alone. Or does he? Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. And me? I'm Bachelor Clues. So, <laughs> I was mixing it up. <laughs> fun. So fun. That's right. I'm nothing if not fun. Now, we were going to do our top 10 takeaways from season 26 as a Patreon episode two weeks from now. But... It's just too juicy. The things that happen in this season are just too important. So we're going to do it today mm -hmm. as our Tuesday episode. We're going to be breaking down for you the top 10 most important things that happened. We're going to be doing at the end of this episode our season-long awards for who was the player of the season, who had the play of the season, what was the error, creature, all these things. So we hope you'll mm -hmm. stick around and listen to that in the end. Premium content today. That's correct. But before that, we have some pieces of business. 
two parts business. First part, we have a book signing, our first officially sanctioned book signing at Skylight Books in Los Angeles on April 2nd. That's a Saturday at 3 p.m. 1818 North Vermont Avenue. We will be there to sign books and a few other approved things to sign. Bring anything you got. Faces, sauce. Faces, sauce, books, posters, t-shirts, motorcycle helmets. I'd sign one of those. No creatures? I would not sign a creature. No. No. Me either. Go to skylightbooks.com for more details. Second piece of business. We finally are going to be selling the Welcome to the Pit merch. Uh, we Well, we have been selling the sweatshirts, and now the posters are available in 8.5 by 12 and 20 by 27.5. The print that was designed by the illustrious Ella Tolkien is now available, as well as a sticker form. That's 3.5 times 4.5 inches. Those are the sizes. And you can get those at etsy.com slash shop slash game of roses. It's me, Pace Case. That was business. Thank you. Business with Pace Case. And now (laughs) we are proud to present to you our top 10 takeaways from historic season 26 of the Bachelor. This was obviously a historic season for many reasons. And we're going to start here at the bottom of our list with what we believe is the 10th most important thing that happened this season, season 26. It was that this was the first season after COVID, after the bubble seasons. Not that COVID is totally gone. We know there are variants popping up here and there and everybody's doing whatever their protocols are. But this was the first season after Claire Crawley's Bachelorette season 16 got scuttled. The production of it got scuttled for six months. They had to wait, come back, and they shot that at the La Quinta Resort in Palm Springs. And then we know after that, we had Matt James' season. And then after that, we had both Katie Thurston's season and Michelle Young's season, which was kind of a hybrid season, but still did take place at a most of it at an all-inclusive resort. So this season was the first one where we had the mansion. We were back at the mansion for the first time in a while. Villa de la Vina. And then we also had international travel. They went to, obviously, Iceland in in one of the biggest debacles in Bachelor history. And we'll get to that later in our top 10 list, certainly. But this was a, a return to the feeling of the old show, at least to me. I don't know if it felt like that to you at all, Pace Case. I mean, it certainly did in terms of location. It certainly did in terms of another element, which we'll discuss later up this list, a.k.a. return to a classic villain. It certainly felt like the return to not this claustrophobic type feeling for the entire season. I mean, you do have still the, the panic attack room in the fantasy suites, but... They're traveling, they're going, they're going all over, they're meeting interesting people. We're not seeing Michelle Young walk up and down that goddamn staircase 300,000 times, which is <laughs> how I think of the bubble seasons in my head is just watching people walk that staircase in an infinite loop. For me, the bubble seasons are most exemplified probably by the 
when they went into what was really the first circle of pain, the, the circle of groping on Claire Crawley's season, where they just went into some, it was like an auditorium or a conference room at uh, La Quinta. And then they were blindfolded and groping each other. And there was that one where she was in that weird, like high school play tower, like that uh-huh. castle, all of these weird things that they made them do. And also Dark Lord Harrison zipping around on his scooter in uh, trying to do like some kind of weird comedy bit. I'll never forget that. Yeah, I take it back. The actual thing that represents the bubble seasons to me is the fake hometowns on Tasha's season. Zach Clark pulling up in a fake taxi cab and sweating a bucket of sweat the entire time. The sweatiness of La Quinta. But I, you know, I really actually liked the way this season looked in terms of all of the stuff we're talking about, because they got to do this international travel, especially the final couple of episodes, whatever the buildings were that they were in, in Iceland were amazing looking and they were shot very well. And Mm -hmm. I also think that this new season, I mean, we did start to see some drone work, drone camera work in the bubble seasons, but here it was taken to a new level because they were out in the wilderness and the Icelandic landscape, flying over volcanoes and mountains and all kinds of stuff. And I do think that that, it helps with The Bachelor or Bachelorette, whatever, the main game. It helps to give it that feeling of grandeur that this isn't yeah. just a bunch of people like sequestered in some fucking resort somewhere doing dumb bullshit, playing like naked dodgeball. And as you're saying, going up and down the spiral staircase <laughs> a thousand times. <laughs> you know, you get the sense that this really is an adventure for these players and for the lead. And I think that's a crucial, a crucial component of really what this game has been since its inception. Yeah, you want to hide the psychological torture chamber within the grandiose landscapes and stuff. You don't want it to be just pretty clear that they're in prison. I mean, the the walks the women would go on Matt James's season, just like two by two, just seem like prison yard walks. Like Yes. And this gives, there's a, a kind of mechanical function. There's a practical functionality to travel too that helps the producers manipulate players and leads more because if all Mm -hmm. you're doing is sitting in your room stewing about like oh what's this next group date going to be and you're not going anywhere then it it fucks with the game a little bit but because producers have the ability here to be like okay get your passports pack your things now we're going on a 12-hour flight and now you have to wake up in an hour it allows them to scramble a player's brain more and to keep them so occupied with travel and sights and sounds and all the new shit that they're doing that i think it elevates the producer's ability to control the game a little bit more. And we saw, obviously, we're going to get to the top of this list. They exerted an extreme amount of control over this entire season. It allows them to be like, Virginia Sue, it's not time to leave Iceland yet. As you know, there's only a few flights that leave from here every month. So we got to keep you around for a little while. (laughs) You can't just drive away in your minivan from LA. The fact that they kept her there is just, oh, God. I mean, it's all controlled. None of this is real. At any rate, that was number 10 on our list. Let's move up one notch. Now we're talking about the number nine most important thing that happened in the course of this historic season 26. We're talking about the women tell all. This was, in my opinion, the first time that we saw every player there in full attack mode. They were all auditioning for Paradise, and they knew it. In addition to that, 
we saw some very weird things at the women's hall in terms of the propaganda signs and just really everything that was happening in the audience, honestly. The other important element of leaving the bubble seasons is we got to return to that live studio, you know, where they have had the After the Final Rose and Women Tell All for years. And it gives it this elevated quality. You're like, oh, this is national TV. This isn't just like some side bunker at La Quinta where we're cramming like five people in. Even though that audience is... Whether it's real people or at least in the case of this year, a lot of them were SAG actors, which I think they had to do for COVID reasons. But whatever the case, that audience is only a facsimile of the actual fourth audience. It's never real. They're giving them certain signs. They're telling them where to sit. And in many cases, they shoot all the reactions of the audience before any of the players even come in so that they have that to cut to Mm -hmm. to build whatever narrative they want. So it's this strange kind of... It's a representation of the audience, but it's not a real audience. And I always find that fascinating. But this Women Tell All, the thing that I really took from it was how much highly aggressive offensive play was being done by virtually everyone Mm -hmm. And you really got the sense for the first time, maybe in the history of our game, that all those players know what's at stake. And this is, you know, what we've talked about for some time now that we're in the professional era. Our book is out, How to Win the Bachelor. We talk about the women tell all in it and what your strategy should be given, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. your season run might have been. And I think all these players were acutely aware of the fact that if they didn't do something big, they might not be going to paradise. It was one of the best women tells we've seen in a very long time. I enjoyed how much it's the last chance for paradise. I believe the only player who we didn't see was Eliza, who was originally in my top four. She didn't get in there, but everyone else you have, you know, Cassidy Timbrooks playing an impeccable audition for Paradise in that episode, getting in her like memeable lines about, you know, it was good dick. We have Kira Megitsu issuing her Hail Mary for Clayton. We saw amazing standing work by Genevieve. I'm not exactly sure what Genevieve's strategy was, but she was all over the place. She was the star of the women tell all. And just fascinating because I feel like it's almost the game purified in that moment. Everyone is highly prepared. Everyone is, you know, in some cases doing experimental strategy to try to be the one that makes the edit. Totally. And it's this is the last chance you have. I mean, in terms of like Bachelor and Bachelorette, these are the last players we're going to see at a tell-all before Paradise, Right. Is, no, we'll see all the Bachelorette players first, but they're shooting Paradise in May. So the Bachelorette players, some of them will have the opportunity to maybe make Paradise, but it will have already shot before it airs. So if you are mm. a guy on the next season of Bachelorette, the Gabby, Wendy, and Rachel Reckia season, the players who are in Paradise will not have seen your shit air yet. And so you might come in and have to be like, well, I was just on a season of Bachelorette, but you don't know who the fuck I am. So the players yeah. on this Women Tell All are the last ones that we will have all seen on, t- or that the players will have all seen on television. So you're trying mm-hmm. to also, in this Women Tell All, 
kind of recreate your narrative, which is what Cassidy Timbrix did. She went from being a villain to, I think, being like a beloved kind of like, fuck it, this is who I am type player. And I think that goes a long way for setting up what you can do in Paradise because all the other guys who are going to be there will have seen that and be like, okay, she's not a villain. Maybe I can associate with her and not lose 100,000 followers. I mean, we (laughs) saw this before with Becca Kufrin and Big Body Trash Can Mm -hmm. is his season hadn't aired, so... It was word of mouth on the beach about who was a villain, unless I guess you're a protected player and you get to see those cuts for your podcast that you're recording on sand. Yeah, exactly. But that was our number nine most important thing. The women tell all all these players coming into it just on fire. And now we're going to move on to the number eight most important thing that happened in season 26. We're talking about the first rejection of a final rose at what some people knew was a final rose ceremony in the history (laughs) of the game. We have never seen this before. And of course, Susie Evans, star player from this season who went out in third place and then came back with a forced resurrection by Dark Lord Palmer to actually take the final rose. So she became the ring winner after this rejection at, again, This was an impromptu final rose ceremony. We all know what happened in the finale. Clayton tells the producers, I got to be done here. Susie's it for me. DLP goes and convinces her from the the sequestered hotel room that they have a new Evans chamber. He takes her out of the Evans chamber and he (laughs) says, you need to come talk to Clayton. Now, what we understand is that she did not know it was a final rose ceremony. They had her get dressed and they just said, we're taking you to talk to Clayton. And she walks into mm-hmm. that Viking restaurant and it's like a formal final rose ceremony and she rejects the rose. I don't know if she knew she was making history in this moment, but she obviously was. I mean, we have seen a final rose given at the after the final rose before. We saw this with Charlie O'Connell's season when he uh, mm-hmm. dated his last two players for a few months. Uh, but never have we seen it rejected, and then accepted at the after the final rose. And, I mean, we've seen this when you have broken seasons, is the show wants to wrap it up in a nice bow. They really want to get through every step of the sacred ritual. So they threw Susie into a meeting of the family. We don't even know if she knew that was happening, first of all. And then they throw her into this final rose ceremony, and... They even have Clayton have a ring, even though he doesn't even know if they're together or not. Yeah. They're like, fuck it. Have the ring there. This is in your contract. You have to hold it. (laughs) That is in their contract. The Neil Lane ring box. Like, I'm sure that's in his contract that you have to have a product shot. You have to have the ring box opening. You have to have at least two or three shots of somebody staring at the ring while they're in a car or looking out over a balcony or some shit like that. They had all that for sure. Uh But This final rose ceremony, rejection of the rose, I think is interesting too, because it's like you're saying, the producer, even in these broken seasons, they try to hustle the players through all these final ceremonial phases. They did it with like Dale Moss and Claire Crawley, for example. They tried to pack in a full season's worth of ceremony into one episode. Once she made the decision, like I'm Mm -hmm. leaving here with them, it was like, okay, we got to get your fantasy suites. We got to get this. You have to have... Bree and Chris from Listen to Your Heart now perform a song for you. Remember that shit? Oh, yeah. But they tried to do it here and it failed. I'm surprised they didn't throw in a meeting of the family there. 
Well, it was the, I don't know how they would have done that because it was COVID bubble. Too late notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have to go out there and quarantine for a week or whatever. But yeah, even the the meeting of the family that you're talking about with Susie, we didn't get to see much of it. She came in and said hi. And then was like, can I talk to you outside for a second? The meeting of the family took place over the span of what looked like a minute. And then it was completely over. They have to do it. They want that proposal. They have to have some vibe of a blessing, whether it's just a eye contact or as it was on Ben Higgins season, he, he FaceTimed Lauren's father right before proposing. And he did get the the blessing, FaceTime style. Mm-hmm. It was a virtual blessing. It was a metaverse blessing. Meta blessing. Gotta get that B. <laughs> the metaverse, brother. This is what I've learned from dudesy is whenever you go down this path i just go the metaverse brother and then you stop yeah that hulk hogan (laughs) voice is stuck in your head this is chad's other podcast (laughs) it's giving me some ideas Uh, (laughs) okay (laughs) well we just talked about the final rose being rejected the final rose ceremony and one of the things that led to that is number seven on our list of most important stuff that happened in season 26 we are talking about the post facto double ultimatum issued by Susie Evans, which was an improvement perhaps, or at least an evolution of the Madison Prue at, I just want to call her Maddie Prue at all times, but I, I need to stick to my journalistic integrity. Susie basically improved or evolved the ultimatum that Pruitt delivered to then bachelor Peter Popeye Weber immediately after winning the Fantasy Suite round rose or winning a hometown rose that would lead to Fantasy Suites. Literally, as soon as she got that rose, she was like, and by the way, I don't want you to have sex with anybody. And God, that was just such a powerful moment. But here Susie does essentially the same thing, except she ups it. It's not just an ultimatum about sex. It's also an ultimatum about falling in love. And it's done after the fact. Pruitt did it before Fantasy Suite Round started, at the very least. So she gave The Bachelor a choice. And he made whatever choices he made. And we all know how season 24 ended. Susie does not give him the choice. And there is a lot of debate to be had here about whether or not she even could have. Were the producers sequestering her? The producers certainly chose the Fantasy Suite order so that she would have to go last. And Ultimate Viking would have the ability to not only love level four, both Rekia and Gabby Wendy, but to engage in sexual Congress with them. So I don't know ultimately who's who's to blame or who's to be rewarded here for making all this happen, however you want to see it. It might not have been Sue. <laughs> I mean, a huge thing that we discuss in How to Win the Bachelor is that a lot of the plays that you're going to want to make are based on your own brand. And that will sort of tell you what type of strategy you can have. Sue didn't have what Prue had, which was the PVC, the personal virginity card. So Prue's was more based on consummation. It was based on a PVC that she had loaded with the audience, loaded with the other players, the second audience. But Failed to give to the first audience until, I don't know, after Fantasy Suites? I don't know. I can't remember exactly when she dropped that aspect of it. But, you know, Susie can't can't use that same style, but she can use this style, which I feel like is part of what makes Susie such a great player, is that she's able to modernize 
the techniques that have been used in the past and fit them to her specific brand, which is sort of more of a free spirit good girl rather than a Christian good girl. But I will say this about the post-facto double ultimatum. Things turned out how they turned out for her, obviously. She seems very happy with Ultimate Viking now. We're watching their social media and they're doing amazing things, obviously. Pizza reviews and shit. The best pizza review I've ever seen. Bar none. I agree. Not that I've seen a lot, but this is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) But all that said, I actually think there's a flaw in the post-facto double ultimatum, which is... Mm. Yeah. I don't think you can do a post-facto ultimatum about an action, which was, in this case, having sex with the other players. I think you can do one about emotion, which is, did you fall in love? That's not an action. It's not something you can help. It's not a decision you can really even make. The having sex with the other players is. And I feel like if you're going to do a sex ultimatum, it has to come before the action is going to take place. But the emotional one, Mm -hmm. I think she did exactly perfectly. I think she should... What I would have done, had I been Sue, I would have come into that conversation and said, like, look, I don't like that you had sex with these other two players. Look, I'm just Clue Sue. Yeah. If I was Bachelor Clue Slew, but Bachelor Clue's Lou Suzel. I can't even say it. It's such a tongue twister. Bachelor Clue's Sue. If I was Black... Bachelor... If I was Bachelor Clue's Sue Prue. Blatchler. Blatchler. I would say this. I would come in and I would be like, look, dude, I don't like that you had sex with these other players, but I get that. And I told you to explore these relationships and I, I'm glad actually that it's happened. Again, I don't feel good about it, but I'm glad it's happened because you do need to explore that so that you can comparatively make the best choice. Now, I do have to ask you this though. Are you in love with either of them? Because that is something that like for me, love is between two people and that's it. I think you get away with that. I think that Hmm. that makes sense to people. Look, I think she got away with it regardless. Uh, No, look at her Instagram. And like people don't Hmm. like her, you know, as much as I feel like they would have otherwise. That's who she wound up being. That is who she wound up being. It depends on who you wind up being. That's restaurant. (laughs) Is that restaurant? It's like restaurant. (laughs) It's like restaurant. I think there's something that comes across as like tricky in the sexual ultimatum. Like it feels like she set him Mm -hmm. up to fail with that. Whereas the emotional one is like, that's for TRR. There's something in the, the ultimatum about fantasy suite consummation that feels for TWR or like it is a setup plan to me anyway. Hmm. And I think that's why ultimately it was like, it was a step too far. I think it could have come off. However, the powers that be wanted it to come off. (laughs) So, I mean, I also do think that this is not a play that we can see again. I think that it opens up this conversation about boundaries in a way that future Bachelors, if they've watched Clayton's season, which I would hope you'd watch at least the most recent season that you would be aware of and have those conversations beforehand where you're extremely clear about boundaries. Listen, I'll just say this for reasons I cannot yet divulge. I hyper-binged season four in its entirety over this weekend. And it, you know, we've obviously seen all of these these shows prior. We've seen all these episodes, but it really, Mm -hmm. after watching it so close to the end of season 26, it really reminded me of how tight-lipped leads used to be when people are love-leveling 
Bob Guinea in that season, The Bachelor, he just smiles and mm-hmm. is like, oh, that's so good to hear. That's it. He just laughed. Yeah. <laughs> he love level one to few people and that was it like nothing else you know and i think if season 26 does teach anything to incoming leads and i'm talking about guys because like all of the women already know this shit but if any guys <laughs> out there are watching this season i think what it might do is give us a return back to that classic era or experimental era where like the lead doesn't ever say what their emotions are. They keep that held in until the final rose. And then you love level for the person in your proposal, essentially. I would like to see the opposite. Love level for everyone, night one. Consummate with everyone. I'm down with that too. <laughs> night one, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> Bachelor after dark. Yeah, I think this could return us back to a more emotionally buttoned up lead era of the game. We'll see. But let's move on now to the sixth most important event from Bachelor Season 26. We're talking about the return of a true villain in the modern era, Shanae Ankney. We have not seen a villain like her in some time. And Mm -hmm. we're also now seeing what it is like to be this type of villain in the current era where I'm not saying Corinne Olympios was this type of villain necessarily. She was definitely a villain, but she wasn't as malicious as Shanae at least was uh, presented to be, you know, and Corinne has 700 and some thousand followers still. Shanae is at 26.5K. Exactly. And I think there was something that happened in Villainy, in our beloved game, in the last season of Bachelor in Paradise with Brendan Marias and Piper James, where we saw them hemorrhaging followers just because they mentioned Instagram, just because there was the idea floated that they mm-hmm. knew each other prior to it. And they were invalidated with such a heavy 4TWR attack from Grocery Store Joe and his disgruntled females that... They literally lost followers in gigantic swaths. And I think now we're in an era where if you're a villain of any kind, you're just fucked. It is not good for an influencer career. Sorry. You're going to rot in Ohio. Yes, rot in Ohio. And of course, (laughs) uh, part of Shanae's villainy, like a big component of it was Shrimpgate, which it feels like the producers are always trying to have some kind of gate every season. And this was a little Mm -hmm. bit of the uh, Kristen Whitney scallop fingers was like slid into here. They took a little bit of that and a little bit of champagne gate. Slid in, forced in. Right. (laughs) I feel like shrimp gate was so heavy handed and they just hit us over it, over the head with it again and again. You have the shrimp counter. You have all the flashbacks. I mean, we saw that flashback to Shanae offering Elizabeth shrimp in the hot tub up. A hundred thousand times. Yeah. And it just didn't have, to me, it didn't have the the power of a champagne gate, which I think was partially because of that meme. Like Kelsey Weir getting that champagne in her face. I laughed every time I saw that that gif. It was so funny. And it was a it felt like more of a real drama rather than a miscommunication. Yes. But this is also because I know that season 24 was not Elon Gale. 
But what he had done, I think the systems he had set up to control players and, and initiate manipulations was still present to some degree. There was definitely a power struggle for who was going to be the next Elon Gale, definitely a power vacuum. But those producers were still doing things like he would have done them. And Champagne Gate is, in my mind, it's like almost a perfect producer manipulation. You take a player who has a vested interest in some thing, some object, some activity that they're going to set up. Kelsey Weir brought this champagne from home, saving it for a special moment. And they say to themselves, okay, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we set up another fucking bottle of champagne? Let's loose fucking pop it and let Kelsey Weir hear the pop. Now, this is not her bottle of champagne, by the way. It's another one. They're literally setting up a scenario just to drive her insane. And that's it. <laughs> they set it up. They let it unfold. And then they watch how the players react. Shrimpgate was something completely different. There is no special importance attached to any of these shrimp. It was just that... Who was it? Elizabeth Corgan cooked some shrimp. And then Shanae cooked some shrimp. And now they're eating some shrimp. It's like there's no real weight on shrimp. It's mm -hmm. even kind of funny. It almost invalidates the seriousness of it by the nature of it being shrimp. It doesn't even need to be that special. I remember there was a plot line in, I believe, season 24, where one person had a setup that they were like, for my mini date, it's going to be a bed outside in front of the mansion with a telescope. And then you basically watch that player as they realize that 15 other people are going in front of them bringing Popeye to the bed and they're like, oh, my setup was completely stolen by other people. It's just driving them insane for this like small thing. You know, they, it's not like they paid for the bed or anything. But as long as you have that small level of importance based on something, you can create beautiful havoc. Speaking of beautiful havoc, another thing that this return to the classic villain a big part of that was that we also returned to a true two-on-one date. We've been seeing these bullshit two-on-one dates through the bubble seasons where it's like two people having extra time before a cocktail party or before rose ceremony. No desolate locations. No leaving someone in the desert or under a waterfall or anything like that. And we had Shanae Ankney versus... Genevieve Parisi, Shanae calling her a chihuahua that she's going to drown in the ocean. Like, true, true villainry. It was Niagara Falls, which is Niagara Falls is like a, a beautiful location, certainly, and all of that. But it also is a treacherous one. So there was that element of hostile environment in it for sure. And I agree with you. I love to see it. Love to see the return. To me, my favorite two-on-one maybe in history was Taylor Nolan and Corinne Olympios in the... Swamp on season 21. You like that more than Poe Iaconetti? Poe Iaconetti was, I mean, that's just art. I don't even put that in the same category. No, <laughs> but like I enjoyed that one specifically because it was like in a swamp and there was a voodoo priestess casting spells on people and shit. Mm -hmm. They made it like really comic book level hostility in that day, in my mind. I mean, Taylor, Taylor Nolan did performed like a voodoo resurrection and then came back Yes, <laughs> because of her powers she had gained in the swamp. <laughs> yeah, it was like it didn't get any more pro wrestling. That's literally something you see in the WWE with like The Undertaker or some shit. But yeah, it was... I enjoyed Shanae 
for what it's worth, I know that there were a lot of complaints about her and, and whatever, but in terms of what she did in game, she was entertaining to me. I like seeing true villains like this. I think they are good for the game. I think they're necessary for the game. And I'm curious to see what she'll be able to do in Paradise, if she can turn this around at all, or if it'll be a kind of Victoria Larson, just complete flame out in Paradise and no value from it whatsoever. Shanae we savored your suffering. And now for the number five most important takeaway from Bachelor Season 26, we had something happen in the After the Final Rose that we have never had happen before. That is the announcement of a double Bachelorette season. And no, that's not two back-to-back seasons like they did with Katie Thurston and Michelle Young. It is Gabby, Wendy, and Rachel, Rachel Recchia. Both are going to be the Bachelorette at the same time. Supposedly, there's not going to be a vote in the first episode to pick which one is going to carry the rest of the season. And... This is the kind of shakeup that this game truly needed, in my opinion. It's got people abuzz. How are they going to format this? And, you know, they have tested this out in some of the international versions, but I haven't seen how it's been done yet, and I can't wait. I haven't seen it either, but I totally agree with you. They needed something like this, a gimmick that will enthuse the fourth audience again. Give us some curiosity about what the fuck is this. Make us tune in. You gave us a reason now Mm -hmm. to at least tune in and see how the fuck is this going to go down. I predict that they're going to destroy both of them. I think they're going to do everything in their power Uh to just wreck them by the end of it. You famously said they're going to kill them. (laughs) Maybe. One might die. Maybe that's going to be in the end. Dark Seeker, Grace Ann Parks made a great TikTok. Uh of Chad and I having this conversation about like, <laughs> they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him on screen. <laughs> I could see it being something like that. Like it comes down to, they both like the same guy in the end. And that guy has to make the hardest choice. Not only whose proposal do you accept, but then you have to kill the other one. <laughs> Dine on their soul. <laughs> Who will be the ultimate Viking. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm so curious to see how this is going to work. I know there's a lot of talk in the forums about some people really like this as a concept. Some people think it diminishes like the bachelorette for each of these players that now it's just mm-hmm. like, well, it's kind of like the season 16 of Bachelorette. It's like, well, now we've got two bachelorettes, but neither of them is going to get like the full bachelorette experience because they're going to have to be sharing it. Yeah, it absolutely diminishes it. Maybe. Are they both going to be waiting for the limos? Do you have to do your standy line on both of them? One after the other. That's hilarious. <laughs> One of them is in like a soundproof box and then they just switch places. The The guy has to do his limo exit yeah. twice to each of them. <laughs> it's like a game show. <laughs> you know, this is where I see it though. And I get what you're saying that it could diminish their experience because they're going to have to share it and it's, you know, only 50% screen time and all that shit. The bottom line is this though. If they're for TRR, the only thing that matters is do they find their person? So it doesn't matter what their experience is like. If the end goal is achieved, if they are 4TWR and they're just in it for Instagram followers, does this gimmick explode them in a way that we haven't seen for leads in a little while? Is it possible that one or both of them hit the 2 million club during their season? Do we get a return to Hannah Brown era as a result of this? You don't think so? But I think they'll hit 1 million. I do too. I think they could potentially hit two. I don't know what's going to happen in that season. Hmm. 
But we will anxiously be awaiting that season, which I believe starts airing in July, early July, and we'll, of course, be recapping all of it. Does this mean Bachelor in Paradise is in the fall? I think so. Hmm. They start shooting Bachelor in Paradise in May. Look, I would love to see a Bachelor in Paradise season that they film just full-on winter and they're just freezing. (laughs) Well, I mean, it would be in Mexico, so it'd still probably be pretty nice. But, you know, I don't know if I'm accurate in this or not, but... I have these memories, these sense memories when I dig deep into my subconscious that there was a time when they were airing the end of a Bachelorette season and the beginning of a Paradise season in the same week. Do you remember that? Yes, that that happened. I think we could see that again. Oh, kill me. <laughs> kill me! This will be the first season they kill Pace Pit Case. <laughs> I can't say my name. Pace case. Too much peanut butter. But the Dark Lord will (laughs) resurrect. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Look, I'm excited for this off season. We haven't had an off season and I can't even remember how long, but we finally get to do some really interesting interviews that I think the pit's going to love. I do too. I'm looking forward to this off season. I remember our last off season, we did a little thing called the hyper binge. By the way, if there's anything anyone wants to see from us during the off season, any interviews you want, et cetera, sound off in the comments. Let us know. Yeah, we have some plan, but certainly we're looking for clues. It is springtime. It is the off season. It mm. is gore girl summer. The weather's getting warmer. Thank you. Dark Lord Palmer. And it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and cowls and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul, get those staple pieces, and I found quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces keeping me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I got the cotton modal scoop neck tee. It is so cute. It is literally the first thing I reach for in my dresser when all my clothes are washed. You know those special items. If you are not like Clues, who only wears one outfit. I'm Quince head to toe at this point. I'm a Quince boy. (gasps) I'm a source boy, Quince boy. You got no idea. I'm wearing Quince t-shirts, Quince pants, Quince long sleeve t-shirts, Quince pants, Quince sweaters, Quince pants. I'm Quinced. (laughs) Just call me Quinced, King Quinces. Okay. They call me. I love Quince. Okay, Quince. Uh, get warm weather ready with Quince. Be a Quince King yourself or Quince Queen. Go to Quince.com slash roses for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash roses to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash roses. Game of Roses is sponsored by BetterHelp. Clues, uh, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And if you keep them all bottled up, it can affect you negatively. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. You might be taking care of your physical body, but are you taking care of that beautiful mind, Clues? Yes. I have benefited from therapy greatly in the past. Uh, It has helped me get through stressful experiences, manage boundaries, learn coping skills, you know, 
the whole premise of life is is kind of a, a it's a lot to undertake and therapy can help with that well if you're thinking of starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire, then you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists literally at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Game of Roses today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Game of Roses. Clues. I've been on a mission. I'm trying to find Ooh. the perfect T-shirt. Yeah. Um, because it's spring. I'm ready to get out there. I'm ready to peacock. Luckily, the perfect T-shirt does exist. And you can find it at Skims. From cropped silhouettes to long sleeve layering tees, there's a style for everyone. You guys know how excited I was that Skims became one of our sponsors for this podcast. They have great basics and foundations. I got the boyfriend t-shirt in onyx. That's kind of a dark black color. And the cotton jersey long sleeve t-shirt in kyanite, which is kind of like a blue green. And they're both so comfortable. It's basically like you are wearing nothing. Great for free spirit types. Well, for all the free spirits out there right now, you can shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes XXS through 4X. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcasts in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Again, that's Skims. More. And now let's move on. Number four, we're getting into the hometown rounds here of our top 10. The fourth most important thing that happened in season 26 was I had my first players in the game. Wow. That's right. We, you know, Pace Case and I started this podcast about two years ago. We wrote a book called How to Win the Bachelor, where we took all of the statistical information that we had gleaned from the hyperbinge and we put it to work in our theories about how you could best play the game. And I became very curious about these theories. Could they actually be applied? Could they be used to not only get players in the game, but design strategies for them, help them through the game, et cetera, et cetera? And this season 26, was the first season that, yes, the strategies were applied. Players did make it into the game. They did play through the game. And some of those players are still in the game, you know, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. I am, through this process, I'm learning a massive amount about everything, the, the structure of the game from the inside out now in a way that's not just us watching the program anymore, the document. I'm getting other information that is like invaluable and I think it's only going to help me in subsequent seasons as well. This may have been the first season that I had players in the game, but it definitely will not be the last. Look, you know, members of our Patreon know that we always put ourselves in the top 10 of the main takeaways <laughs> from a season. You know, how much gorification has gone down. And this season is by far the most gorification of any season with you coaching players, some of the players doing very well. And I just got to say, I'm so proud of you. 
I'm proud of you for what you've done. I'm proud of all of the hard work that you've put in paying off. Thank you very much. I love to see all the pit theories of who are the player and or players that you have coached. It is yeah. very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I cannot reveal who they are. My deal with all the players that I ever coach is that I will never do that. It's always up to them. If they ever want to reveal it, I'm happy to help facilitate that in whatever way I can. But until that moment for any of them, I will never reveal their identities. All that said, I am hopeful that within the next two to three years, I'll have enough players who are coming out of the game. The metaverse, brother. Yes, the metaverse, dude. Two to three years, brother. Uh, I will have enough (laughs) players coming out of the game that there might be able to be some kind of media made about this entire endeavor coaching players to mm-hmm. go in and achieve whatever successes they can and then come out of it and uh you know potentially achieve even more successes in the subsequent parasocial game but this was very encouraging to me well i really look forward to that content as do i in 2 to 3 years and uh i have to say like the experience of watching this season back and seeing players that I coached in. I mean, it was just like, it was surreal in the best possible way. When you and me first started this podcast or when we first started watching Bachelor together, however many fucking years ago that was, seven or eight, nine, ten, I don't even know. I never imagined, I mean, I did imagine that this was possible, but I never imagined it in a real way. And then to literally see it in the fucking document was just (laughs) a dream come true in many ways, but also fuel to the fire that is like, okay, I can do this. Now let's fucking blow it out of the water. It's so funny because we're both TV writers and we both have written things that have aired on television. And it is surreal to see your words appear in that circumstance. Like I'll never forget the first joke that I wrote that was on TV. But seeing the words that you wrote and we discussed said out of the mouth mouths of players on TV in The Bachelor was another level. Just iconic. It it was a very, for me, like, uh, it's an experience I've never had where you're, I I guess I liken it to like an Olympic coach or something, you know, an Olympic, like, Uh in my head, it's very similar to like a gymnastics coach where it's like you run the drills, you go through all the things, you put in months of work prior to this, but then you have to say, okay, go out there and do it. And as the coach, Uh you're just sitting there like, oh, fuck, please let her do this. Please, oh, shit, please let her do this. And and you're watching the performance, knowing like all the work that went into it, all the months that led up to these moments. And it's a it's strangely fulfilling in a way that I did not anticipate. Uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> you're a parent. <laughs> totally. Letting your kid go to preschool. It's I mean, maybe it's a little more complicated than that in terms of like what these players are required <laughs> to do. These are professional athletes. But I agree with you. It's probably the closest that I will ever feel to being a parent. Hopefully. (laughs) And I feel like that's a great place to transition into number three, our third most important takeaway from Bachelor season 26 is that it was the first Dark Lord Palmer season. 
and what a season it has been. Oh my God. I had very low expectations. I was like, he's done some hosting stuff, but you know, he's got dark shoes to fill. I agree. I my initial thoughts on him when they announced it was like, he'll be fine. Like he'll yeah, be fine. He'll be fine. He'll render whatever he needs to render. We will get through the fucking season. He'll be fine. Then uh, there was an episode where he came in at the end of a cocktail party and started bringing knife to glass. He wasn't good at his first tings, but he did them. I think his first ting was a seven ting. Ting, 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 ting. And it was like too much. Thank you for demonstrating. Thank you. (laughs) Too many tings. But he was getting better at the tings. And that gave me some hope early on that maybe the darkness could flow through this earthly vessel and turn him into the soul-eating demon that he needs to become to give us the game again, the true game. And indeed, by the end of this season, he became pure darkness. Maybe at a level even that DLH never touched. He might be more powerful ultimately than DLH. I would say it's a much faster transition from the beginning episode in which, I mean... My first moment of like, huh, the darkness is coming was episode one in his intro when he says, I'm a happily married man. And I was like, one of these things is true. Someone from production told him to say it and he's just going to do whatever production says. Number two, he watched DLH's intro and he was like, I, this, these are my words now. To me, it's like, it's like when you swear in a new president or something. There's like some rote verbiage that you must say in order to achieve that uh, role. And for me, I'm a happily married man is like just what you say when you're the next Dark Lord. It's like the passing of the torch. I'm a happily married man. And the darkness is in it because this is in some ways, I'm not saying he's lying about being a happily married man, but it's a part of the whole lie. Like the reason that the Dark Lords must say this is to completely eliminate the possibility of them being interested in any of the players, or if a player is interested Mm -hmm. in them, that he would reciprocate it in any way. I'm a happily married man. Rest assured, only one guy here is going to be dating 30 women and go to the fantasy suites with them. I have have no... I'm just here platonically to oversee things. Rest assured. Hashtag friend zone. Yeah, that's what he should have said. (laughs) Hashtag friend zone. I would have loved that. I'm a happily married man. Hashtag friends own. That's his whole new weird persona. That'll be in like 10 years. Hashtag TikTok. Hashtag FYP. He's just really trying to hit Gen Z. He'll be like a, <laughs> uh, a digital avatar. He's not even a real human. But we watched Dark Lord Palmer evolve throughout this season from a happily married man to the darkness itself, which culminated finally in these these last few episodes at the live show, which is where you can see him really feeding off of the suffering of all of these players. He gave us an eyebrow raise. Mm, The eyebrow raise heard around the world. He literally asked Ultimate Viking, are you haunted? Said that. He asked if so, I forget what it was. He asked somebody (laughs) if that was the right play. He literally said the right play. In the course of this, not only does he see it as a sport because he used to be an NFL fucking quarterback and a bachelor, obviously season five, but he enjoys the suffering. He enjoys it at a level that is at least commensurate with 
Dark Lord Harrison. By the end of Dark Lord Harrison's reign, I don't even think he enjoyed the suffering. It was like old hat to him. Mm. He didn't really give a shit. There's an excitement in Dark Lord Palmer's eyes about the suffering that I missed, and I am glad we have it. Yeah, it's definitely a new darkness. It's more like giddy. I don't feel like we ever saw Dark Lord Harrison giddy. No, he was always very measured, a little reserved. This is a little more like rambunctious. It's a little more youthful. It's a because he's happy to be there. Also, it's his first season. He's late. Like all of this is new to him. Leaning into the darkness feels fucking great. I can only imagine it's like a goddamn drug when you're like, wait a minute, I get to sit here and just drag these people through their emotional misery for the entertainment of millions. He loves it. <laughs> well, we savored this transition and I can't wait to see what he's going to do in the future. I mean, next season, we're going to see it with double bachelorettes. <laughs> Not only are they letting yeah. him fully assume the role of a dark Lord, they're giving him new scenarios in which I think like, can you imagine dark Lord Harrison with two bachelorettes? What that would have been amazing. And now DLP gets to reap those benefits. Dark Lord Harrison is probably at home. Just so fucking angry that he doesn't get to host that season. Think of the suffering. This is a fucking feast of suffering. All will suffer. I mean, DLH savored a lot of suffering. He did, 20 years of it. But we wish Dark Lord Palmer luck and wellness in his journey to attain pure darkness. By the way, our new father of lies is also very fun to watch on Instagram. I don't feel like we saw that from Dark Lord Harrison. We have an Instagram era host and you know, I feel like he's he's a little bit riskier with his posts. Now let's move on to the second item on our list. This is the number 2 most important thing that happened this season and it has to do with some suffering. We're talking about the Rose Ceremony from Hell. We'd never seen anything like it. Dark Lord Palmer branded it that, the Rose Ceremony from Hell. <laughs> In this Rose Ceremony from Hell, we saw the Ultimate Viking telling all three of the finalists that he loved them all. And then he tells the two remaining, because Susie is now gone. She has ejected from this process by this point. He tells Gabby, Wendy, and Rachel Recchia, who we now know are going to be double bachelorettes. He tells both of them that he consummated his physical relationship with each of them. Now, we've never seen anything even close to this in the history of The Bachelor. No. Just a full <laughs> self-destruction on the part of the lead. And I think that it was all orchestrated by producers. I think they told him to do all of this. Absolutely. No one does this of their own accord to their own life on purpose. <laughs> I think the rose ceremony from hell was what the producer's greatest work this season. And they based it at that gorgeous, gorgeous location. I think they saw that rose ceremony location and they were like, now hear me out. I think we can get him to do this. And probably everyone laughed and laughed. And this one scrappy producer was like, no, we're going to get this announcement. It's going to be a triple love level four. It's going to be a double consummation. It's going to trend worldwide. Yeah. And they were right. And it did. 
We just have never seen any rose ceremony quite like that. I don't know that we will again. Like, I don't know how this could be topped unless the third participant was also there. That's about all you can do. And then <laughs> yeah. it would be a triple consummation revelation. I, I don't know. How else do you make it like crazier? A pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, I guess that would be a quick, quick pregnancy. Was this player going to be pregnant before they came into the show? Yeah, that's tough. It is tough to get a pregnancy in, but I think that would be the way they can one up themselves again. I look forward to it in Gabby and Rachel's season. <laughs> You're saying a pregnancy at the hands of the lead is revealed yeah. at the final or at this rose ceremony? Yeah. How do you do that? This is only five weeks. Night one consummation. Okay. And then five weeks later. That's kind of early to know. I mean, you could. You could be taking pregnancy tests every day in the hopes that you've done this. All the players are like, why are we taking pregnancy tests every day? Is this a standard <laughs> thing? They're like, oh, they, we do this every season. Yeah. The producers <laughs> just lie to one of them. Listen, your pregnancy test came back positive. We thought you should know, and it's probably a good idea to tell the lead at this next rose ceremony. Okay. Bye-bye. I don't know if that will ever happen, but... I think a lot of factors had to go into this rose ceremony from hell for it to happen this way. And the biggest factor was Clayton. You needed this lead who was game for everything and didn't have that much knowledge about the history of the game, didn't have that much knowledge about the love level four usage among crowns. And I remember early in the season, we saw Clayton in an interview be like, no one reached out to me, except maybe... Katie Thurston, but no bachelors had reached out to him. And it makes sense. Like the last bachelors have all been through the fucking ringers. So I'm not surprised that they didn't reach out to him, but they could have given him some advice for totally how to negotiate with the producers. We're already kind of getting into our number one. So let's just get to it. The number one most important thing that happened this season was Casting a lead specifically to destroy him from the very beginning. We have never seen this before. We saw with Juan Pablo, he became a villain throughout the season because of some shit he said and did. And so they cut him to look one way or the other to try and like prop him up as bad, especially after they realized Andy Dorfman was going to be their next bachelorette. And she had her fantasy sweet morning after where she basically told him off. They had to then prop her up under the idea of Juan Pablo is a bad guy. She is right. And then that leads into her next batch. Her self-righteousness is like, it's true. It's accurate. And that led into her bachelorette season. But here they cast a guy who was eighth place on the prior season 18 of bachelorette, which is kind of a Katie Thurston move. We, we've seen them in these, this era cast people who don't finish in the top three or top four even. So Juan Pablo was eliminated during week six. So he would have been between sixth and eighth place on Desiree Hartsock season. And Bob Guinea went out in fifth through eighth place in the, the rose ceremony just before hometowns on season one. But this is everybody was wondering what this decision was based on. And I really do think it was based on they felt like they could do anything they wanted with him. Absolutely. An innocent. Well, maybe not an innocent, but a not a student of the game. I mean, he, I think anybody who gets the call, we want you to be the bachelor or bachelorette, they know that that comes with it certain benefits, especially where like influencing is concerned and, you know, 
whatever media opportunities might exist as a result of you doing this. I don't know if that's going to be true for Ultimate Viking because his Instagram numbers were so low, as were everyone's this season. That's another thing that we uh, we didn't have in our top 10, but like the low Instagram numbers was something that was astounding to me anyway. But I think when they brought him out at the after the final rose of last season of Bachelorette, and the first thing they had this man do as official bachelor was read mean tweets about himself out loud. That was his introduction to the audience was, look, people mm-hmm. think he's stupid and hate him, and we're going to make him repeat those same thoughts. You knew from that moment, oh, they're going to crush this fucking guy as hard as they fucking can. We're going to re- have him repeat these generic mean things people said based on not knowing him. And then not include any other information about his background. We don't know what his job is. We don't know anything about him except that he wants to be a husband and father and was brought to tears by two child actors on Michelle Young's season. (laughs) Yeah, the child actors, God. But then they had him dressing up like a clown at the group date where it was the kid's birthday party. I mean, literally putting him in a fool costume all the way through the things that they did to him in the end, where I believe when he went in to do the double dump on Rekia and Wendy, the producers made him do that. Or at the very least, we're just like, they're both in there, go in there and tell them you have to, you know, they made it, they, they present it to him in a way that didn't seem like he had a choice. And then the fantasy suite order itself, that was producers. We don't know, but it's hard to believe that anyone would make this decision to do any of these things to people at the same time as opposed to individual conversations. And if he doesn't know about the game, which famously he has said multiple times, he hasn't really watched much of the show, the producers can tell him, oh, Mm -hmm. this is just how we do it. And he's not going to know any better. So he's going to go do these things. And then you even have to look at, you know, something we've been talking about in this very episode and all season, really, the fantasy suite order. We now know because of clips from him on various podcasts, which you can listen to us break down on our Digging Deeper that came out this week. Ultimate Viking has essentially said he wanted Susie to be the first fantasy suite. And the producer said, fuck Fuck you. She's the last one. Fuck you. Stay open. Yeah, they told him to stay open. Stay open. And he's like, but I love Susie Evans. I want her to be the one. They were like, stay open. We still have two more episodes to produce. Stay open. And so they orchestrate this entire series of events that puts... Gabby, Wendy, and Rachel Reckia in the first two fantasy suites. They do not allow Susie Evans to talk to him in any way during this time. She could have just said, hey, producers, can I, and probably did, can I have a conversation with him before he goes to fantasy suites because I have something important I need to tell him. And they were like, fuck you. Get back in your chamber. (laughs) Something like that. But everything they did to this man, all the way up to the final episode after the final rose where they bring him out and force him to do an apology to Rachel Reckia, apology to Gabby Wendy, apology to the Reckia and Wendy families, apology to Dark Lord Palmer, apology to the fourth audience. It was just, they set him up in the very beginning to be a dipshit who people hated. And then in the end, they were like, and now apologize to us for the things we made you do. I mean, I'm just thinking about the experiences of the last few Bachelors. You've got Clayton Underwood, raked through the coals. You've got Matt James. I mean, can't even can't even talk about that season. Season 24, Popeye. Season 23, Colton. I mean, they've broken 
all of these people. And I think they tend to go harder on the bachelors than the bachelorettes because they can. And because you have that season right after the next bachelorette season. So it makes sense to give the crushing heartbreak edit to someone. And an easy way to do that is to sacrifice your bachelor. Exactly. Sacrifice your bachelor to produce a pure victim. That's really what they're looking for for the next Bachelorettes is who is the biggest victim. And this season, we saw two equally victimized. And they played their victimization in different ways. Obviously, we we discussed that on a recap. But they were both equally victimized by this Bachelor who essentially the producers are just manipulating into telling him that he loved them both. And we know that that's one of the biggest victimizations you can do. Happened to JoJo Fletcher and she became the Bachelor immediately. So our hat's off honestly, to Ultimate Viking for playing through this season in the best way he could. Really, like, given that he didn't know much about the game and that these producers clearly cast him to do exactly what they did to him, I don't know how you escape any of this shit. I don't know how he could have done it better. And we don't know any of these people. So, you know, who knows? It's possible maybe he made all of these decisions on his own. Feels unlikely to me. (laughs) No, he didn't. We know that from what he said in these podcasts. He wanted Susie Evans to be the first fantasy suite. That was his decision. The producers then said, no, fuck your decision. She's the last one. Yeah. I mean, they wrecked him. They just fucking wrecked him. And I hope that whatever happens in his life next, him and Susie are happy and they can find some fucking peace after this experience. And, you know, Bachelor Nation moves on very quickly to the next target. And hopefully, well, I mean, fuck, that's not going to be until... June though, or July, whenever it's airing, right? Mm-hmm. Many months July. that they will be, to some degree, at least in the uh, social media spotlight. But congratulations to Ultimate Viking for surviving this crazy ordeal and for seemingly finding his person in Susie Evans. Congrats to both of them. And now we are done with our top 10 list, but we want to go through some honorable mentions real quick of things that just barely missed the list. One was the low Instagram numbers of everyone involved, Ultimate Viking included. This is the in the Instagram era, the lowest uh, result we've ever seen for a player pool in the history of the game. Is it mm-hmm. a sign that Instagram is fading away? Is it a sign that the game is fading away? It did have very low ratings as well. I think it's that this season specifically turned people off with the the selection of Ultimate Viking. I think we're going to see higher Instagram numbers coming back with next season of Bachelorette. I think we're going to see some dudes in the like 500K range. Well, we'll see if this gimmick is able to uh, reinvigorate the franchise. Another honorable mention is we had the first pre-limo exits self-elimination by Sally Carson, the woman we only saw in the first episode who was supposed to get married on night one day. <laughs> A whole nonsense storyline that I guess they tried to bring back in Women Tell and they cut that hot seat out entirely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was also another setup to start Clayton with someone breaking up with him when he didn't know them. Another honorable mention is we had the return of the panic attack room, something that started in Popeye <laughs> Peter Weber's season. <laughs> Where uh, Madison Pruitt, Hannah Ansluss, and Victoria Fuller were all made to stay in the same hotel suite for Fantasy Suites Week. They kept it going in Matt James' season, but didn't really touch on it. But this season, it was back with 
a vengeance, including Dark Lord Palmer visiting them, including fantasy suite date cards about going deep and uh, other such innuendo. Yeah. And that was also the original Panic Attack Room is where we got the first utterance of Seleucian Protocol. Hannah Sluss famously said it in regard to Madison Pruitt's ultimatum. We all know what we signed up for. We also had this season the first perfect 10 Huju in history turned in by Serene Russell, who was the fourth place finisher this season. I will never forget that Huju. It was so fucking beautiful. I hope we get to see some more perfect 10s, but I mean, I don't know how you're going to top it. It was so... The thing that was like fantastic about it, in my opinion, is that it was different from the only other Huju I've seen that could have been a perfect 10, but we didn't get dismount footage was Kelsey Weir in uh, season 24. She turned in one that was like unreal, but hers was like a long sprint with a, a very long leap for the mount. This one was different that Serene Russell did. It was kind of a shorter leap. It was a shorter approach. But what it really put on display, in my mind, was that you can have a perfect 10 regardless of the style of your approach or mount. As long as you're hitting the right marks, your individual style or athleticism can be a perfect 10. It all just boils down to how you use your style. I, it really was was beautiful. I encourage anyone to go back and look at it. Another honorable mention to go along with that is we saw the first player try to hooju the Bachelor with Rachel Recchia attempting to pose as the anchor for Clayton Eckert to hooju her. Didn't work out so well as he's hard to catch. <laughs> but it's still historic. It was the first male to female hooju. <laughs> It was a bad one, but it counts. And then, of course, we must mention that this was the <clears throat> return of a certain player to the document. I'm, of course, talking about the great one, Nick Vial. He was brought in as part of one of the councils of crowns or councils of former players in the live finale event to render his judgment on the ultimate Vikings performance as a lead. And of course it was a lot of sour grapesing, a lot of, I could have done it better <laughs> type shit. And we also got to see Caitlin Bristow in the next council of, it was a crown, a ring and a underdog, right? Wasn't it? It was her Cassie Randolph and Rodney Matthews. Yeah. Both of them did an amazing jobs, and we love to see both the goats returning again and again. I'm just saying, Vial was sandwiched in between two other crowns. He was on a true council of crowns. That's all. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I, I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is gonna feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven day oh. program, 
It has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back, no questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's fiber skincare. Sweaters, candles, the dreaded bathrobe. Unfortunately, Mother's Day gifts can be a little predictable and boring. That's why an Aura Frame is the perfect gift to mix things up this year. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. My mom loves hers. I'm throwing pictures of Skabuli and our cat up there. She's laughing. She's texting me. He's so cute. I wish I could meet him. It's the next best thing to to meeting my cat, really. You know, I love that it was so easy to set it up. I've recently learned I'm not good at uh, building things, (laughs) and I need an easy install. And this only takes about two minutes to set up the frame using the Aura app. Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected, come with unlimited storage, so you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. She'll be grateful it's not another sweater, and she'll love the frame to see more of you. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com. Use code ROSES at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This feels like an attack! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but that wraps up all of our top 10 and our honorable mentions. Now we're going to quickly discuss our year-end awards. These are the players and plays and errors that were the most important, the biggest, the brightest, in some cases the worst, I guess, when we're talking about arrows. But who was your bystander of the season? Katarina, the Croatian knight, was my bystander of the season. I love tots, as you know, and I love forced violence. This combined two of my favorite things, totting in forced violence, as well as being forced to declare your emotional state publicly Mm -hmm. for everyone. And Katerina combined it all, and she had the swagger to convince everyone that she was a real knight, and they had to do what she said. Interesting. Who was your bystander? Katrine Vippersberg was my Jorge Moreno bystander of the season. She was, of course, the Freudian trained 
psychoanalyst who did the psychotherapy group date. And I also got the pleasure of interviewing her, which you can go back and check out. That's in our, our feed right now. She revealed some very interesting things, like the fact that she hosted another fucking reality show for 10 years prior to becoming a psychoanalyst. She also revealed that she had done long interviews or I guess sessions with each of the players, which mm. we only saw a quick 30 second pop. My favorite thing about that interview, though, was you asking her if Clayton had talked about pizza during his therapy session, and she said no. <laughs> I couldn't believe you asked her. I couldn't believe that. I was like, he had to do five hour-long therapy sessions? He went five hours without talking about pizza? That seems unlikely to me. Seems like a long day for Clayton, though, that he had to do a full therapy couple session with each of them. Unreal unbelievably difficult. So again, congrats to him for surviving all this. But now let's move on to our creatures of the season. Who you got? I don't know. if we, You probably don't have the same creature. There was one creature that for me was a crown maker. And this creature, the golden retriever pup who gets underneath Gabby Windy on her first one-on-one -on -one date and lets her do her sexy, goofy style, a crown possible who's beloved by creatures in the fourth audience alike, was my creature, creature of the season. It's a pretty good creature. But my creature was the buffalo who was dead and stuffed at the Natural History Museum that was behind some glass. <laughs> I just felt like it was symbolic to me of the entire season. That oh. is, for me, what the ultimate Viking was. He was killed for our pleasure and then we got to watch him preserved in all time in the document. He will always be the ultimate Viking. He will be immortalized, but he will have no choice in how he's presented just as that Buffalo wasn't. <laughs> and he will have to remain there. His suffering on display for oh, all God. of us. That was, that was mine. Dark. And now let's move on. Error of the season. Who you got? Shanae Ankney making fun of Elizabeth Corrigan for having ADHD and therefore making her villain run less easy to take in was my error of the season. I love the return to the classic era of the villain, but I feel like this moment really went too far and, you know, you want a villain in the main game that you're going to see return to paradise. And I feel like this was the only moment where she put that in question. They didn't bring it up during the women tell all. So I'm assuming she's on sand regardless, but for me, it was the biggest error. Do you think it hurt her Instagram? Probably not that significant, but probably somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I had a different one. Cassidy Timbrooks revealing that she had a fuck buddy to Sierra was my <laughs> error of the season. I think Cassidy Timbrooks, I don't know that she would have made it to like hometowns or anything or playoffs, but she definitely, I mean, she had a rose that fucking week. She had a group mm -hmm. date rose that got revoked. She at least could have made it through one more round, but I think probably could have lasted through the, the rest of the regular season had she been a little more careful with that. And 
she obviously had a kind of bombastic play style, and I think that's going to do very well in Paradise. So ultimately, her time in game may wind up being beneficial. But I just thought that this was a completely unnecessary thing to do or ever mm-hmm. say. And she did it. Unforced error. Yeah, seemingly for no reason. And it tanked her entire season. Yeah. And we saw during the Women Tell All that she's got some playing chops. So I'm interested to see her play again. Hopefully she will have learned from her first game. Yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. But now let's move on to the two big awards here. We got our plays of the season and our MVP. What was your play of the season? Gabby Windy rejecting the rose at the rose ceremony from hell was my play of the season. I've already spoken about how I think she really clinched it when she got on the floor with that golden retriever. But this was her bachelorette moment. This is the moment they're going to show in all the promos. She didn't stick the landing on this, which was a disappointment for me. But I think she kind of rehit it again when she later has that conversation with Clayton and tells him that he can't walk her out. I feel like that was an echo of her rejection. So I feel like this righteous indignation. We we saw two different forms of heartbreak at it, sadness and anger, and she went with the anger route, and I thought it was incredible, and yeah, like, star star power. <laughs> what was your play of the season? <laughs> Gabby Wendy rejecting the rose at the rose already from hell was also my play of the season. I mean, you hit all the, the right things, I think. I, I feel exactly the same way about it. And it's those moments, really, when you're trying for crown, you're looking for one of two moments. Extreme victimization, where you are just left in a heap. And then, like you're saying, that self-righteous moment where you're like, you know what? Fuck you. I deserve better. And I thought Gabby pulled that style of a moment off impeccably. And she did it within the context of the ceremony itself, a rejection of a rose. It doesn't get more symbolic. It doesn't get more praising of the process while at the same time saying, fuck you to the lead. It was just expertly done. That's because I never dated men like that. What was the line? Claire Crawley's. It was something about how I wouldn't want my child to have a man like that. or I'm single because I didn't settle for men like... Yeah. Well, she did two. She did her one to get the crown, which was... I would never want a father like you for my children. But she also had the moment where she tells off Yosef, where she's like, I'm single because I never dated Ben like that. Yeah. Jesus still loves me. You know, these bachelorette moments. Yeah. It's basically kind of like a fuck you. I can do what I want. I'm better than this. I'm better than you. And now we move on to our final award of the season. Who was your most valuable player of the entire season? I think it'll come as no surprise. But for her colorful narration, for leaning into her free spirit slash clown archetype style, for getting down on the ground underneath the golden retriever on her one-on-one, getting that wilderness hoodoo, her love level play, her tear play, her grandpa play, her grandpa glow, Gabby Windy was my... M M M M V P. 
I really thought it was going to be Susie Evans at the beginning of this season. I, did I was too. like, this is the AI who has been created to destroy this game. She is going to kill it. But so Gabby Windy for me was an underdog of sorts. Mm-hmm. She's not really an underdog because she was trained by a bunch of bachelor players already. Yeah, she dated a bunch of ex like high level players. She's an NFL cheerleader. It's like she's not too much of an underdog. No. <laughs> well, for her early self-elimination on night one and coming into the game with a fiance or something like that, Sally Carson was not my MVP. I'm just kidding. It was also Gabby Windy. She was very clearly the best player this season. I agree with you what you're saying also about her being something of an underdog. She wasn't like... I think when we came into the season, it was like, yeah, she's got some good earmarks. The cheerleading, the dating of, uh, did she date mm-hmm. Baylock High or Deanie Babies? One of them, I think. Baylock High, Deanie Babies. I think both of them, maybe. At any rate. Dated, consummated, who knows? Yeah, she had something of a pedigree, but I agree with you. I thought it was going to be Susie Evans all the way, just blasting people out of the water. And Gabby showed up and was super fucking funny. And I think that's one mm-hmm. of her... The key thing that she has that separates her from the rest of the pack is she was clearly the funniest player all season. And I think that that's part of the reason. I mean, she she did jockey herself to a very good victimization in the end of the season. But I think her on-camera skills really helped let the producers see, oh, she can be a crown. Definitely. And I'm I'm excited to see her season. I think she's got some Bristolian, you know, she's kind of an elevated the newest version of Caitlin Bristow. We had Katie Thurston kind of in that format as well, but mm-hmm. I'm excited for this. And she'll be able to lean into the goofy side because you already have Rachel Recchia for the, the 4TRR good girl side. Yeah, that's true. Well, that wraps it up. That is our big top 10 episode for all the most important things that happened in season 26 of The Bachelor. It is now in the history books. We are moving on, looking forward to... Whatever's going to happen in this next season of Bachelorette. But thanks for joining us. We we sincerely cannot thank you all enough for sticking with us and listening to our coverage of this season. And we hope you'll stick with us through the offseason mm-hmm. as we have a bunch of incredible interviews coming up and some other interesting things planned as well that we think you'll like. And we'll be getting into player breakdowns of the guys from season... What is it? It's Bachelorette season 19, right? 19. Those will be coming out soon. I think probably within the next few weeks. So we'll have those for you as well. And then we'll have, you know, continued coverage of that season itself. And we'll have an episode of This Week in Bachelor Nation out for you on Friday. That's going to be a very special one. I'm going to take that day off and it's going to be Pace Case and Dark Seeker holding it down, bringing you all the news and the screams, et cetera, et cetera. It's a historical moment. I don't think Clues has ever taken a podcast off that I have worked. Yeah, I don't think so either. So I, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to listen to it. Happy for you. Thank you very much. I'll be doing my other work. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I know you won't really be re- relaxing. I'm constantly relaxed. Oh, not that far. Okay. <laughs> but thanks again, everybody. And before we go, as always, what is that bat? It has been 7,302 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be.
Dark Lord Palmer. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then 